Hello everybody, this is Scott from Zonisodes. Thank you so much for checking out the show. Before we get started, I want to give you a little bit of a peek under the hood. You see, we started looking at these Twilight Zone episodes all the way back in 2017. And as I record this, it's 2022. You see, we took a bit of a hiatus that turned into about a four-year gap completely entirely my fault but we are back and we are recording new episodes but before we get those new episodes out we wanted to re-release the original show so you can get caught up with all of the old episodes before we dive in to some of the new ones so these first 19 shows are going to be a bit dated you're going to hear us talk about the bright future of 2022 and you're going to hear us talk about a new twilight zone show by jordan peele that's coming out that now has run its course of two seasons so just bear with with us and when we get to episode 20 which is elegy those will be brand new shows thank you again for checking us out we ask you to go to our new website not the one i talk about at the end of this show but our new website anchor.fm slash zonisodes that's anchor.fm slash zone dash i dash sodes so you can see all the places you can subscribe to the podcast as well as check out our social media we would love to hear from you and please 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 if you could give us a like give us a review it really does help the show grow thanks so much and on with the show there is a fifth dimension beyond that which is known to man It is a dimension as vast as space and as timeless as infinity. It is the middle ground between radio and bar talk, between commentary and recaps, and it lies between the pit of man's Netflix subscriptions and the summit of his binge-watching ability. This is the dimension of podcasting and the Twilight Zone. These are the Zonisodes. And now your hosts... Brandon Davis and Scott McFarland. And hello to all of you out there in podcast world or land or whatever we say. <laughs> I have no idea. I'm so confused by this time. Uh, <laughs> I think it's come down to you say world, I say land, and Lisa is yeah. talking. <laughs> that, yeah, that's true. And uh, this is the uh, Front Row Movie Reviews podcast, and this is our uh, this is our special venture that Scott and I are uh, about to uh, go on. We are, we've recorded one episode already, but we are now about to tackle episode one. So one will soon be down, 155 to go. <laughs> I want to I want to point out how confusing that just was. We recorded episode one, and now it's time to talk about episode one. <laughs> Throw it out there. There was an intro well, episode. <laughs> yes, there was an intro episode. So, so for those of you who are coming in late. Yeah, in 2020, when you're joining us in season three or four, you can go back to the beginning and check out the intro episode. We were much, yeah, uh, we, as you can see, we were much better looking three or four years yes. ago. <laughs> yes, we were. Uh, well, hope, well, <laughs> well, hopefully. hopefully not. <laughs> <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so this this is episode two of our Twilight Zone episodes, but we're covering episode one. Hopefully, you don't get too confused. <laughs> but uh, we are uh, we're covering each episode of the Twilight Zone here one by one, and uh, just giving our uh, giving our critical critical eye toward them and uh, giving little uh, fun either background information or. Uh, 
or, or any other kind of uh, fun trivia that go along with each episode, if there was any written about it. But um, as I, I guess I haven't mentioned yet, but I am Brandon Davis and uh, I am the classics guy. Who the heck are you? Who is this guy? <laughs> and I am Scott McFarlane. I'm the flashbacks guy. So Brandon likes the quality stuff and I like the schlock. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> They they do intertwine every once in a while. Quality uh, schlock. That's called Rocky. <laughs> well, according to that soon. <laughs> that is. Yeah. For those of you who are listening in 2020, it's not soon. <laughs> Check out the classics we did. It was awesome, I'm sure. Classic, classics. We're going to be covering both Rocky and The Searchers. So Stallone and John Wayne in one month is not bad, folks. They uh, won't kind of talk like this. That's more Elvis, <laughs> but whatever. That's all right. Um, and so I guess the best place is to uh, start at the beginning here of Twilight Zone. And we're starting here with the uh, pilot called uh, Where Is Everybody, which aired on October 2nd, 1959 on CBS. And um, really, for the time period, this was a very – it doesn't seem like it now, but it was a very daring pilot to uh, put on the air. I mean, uh, here you have just really one person appearing in the whole episode except for the last two minutes i would say and uh, it's basically just a monologue the whole time of this of this uh of this man played by earl holloman um and as i mentioned before um in our previous episode scott um you're here to provide a uh, a plot synopsis of each episode so do you want to go ahead and, and uh, show our sure. listeners would you like to put me on the spot <laughs> yes great thank you <laughs> So this is actually the second pilot. Uh, the first pilot did not air uh, and actually was used for a different show later on, but I'm sure we may talk about that on a different day. So here we are, the first episode of The Twilight Zone. Uh, we, st- uh, we meet, uh, as uh, Brandon mentioned, a man who is alone in the world trying to figure out why no one is uh, in the town of Oakwood where he is at. Um, we will find out later this gentleman's name is Mike Ferris. And Mike is an Air Force officer, as he learns uh, too, as his uh, what seems to be amnesia uh, starts to go away as he moves throughout the town. He begins, like anyone would in this kind of experience, trying to explore his world and figuring out what's going on. But as we continue into this, we see Mike go deeper and deeper into madness uh, to a point where he starts screaming at the world and trying to figure out what is going on. And that is when we find that Mike is actually in uh, a t- uh, in a test tube, a test tube, a test uh, um, device, I guess, that is uh, testing his ability to handle uh, being left alone. And we find out that he is left alone for 400 in 84 hours and 35 minutes. So over 20 days, he is left alone in this device. Uh, and we also find out that Mike is training to be one of the first people to go to the moon, uh, which we'll get into, I'm sure, about the fact that this is 1959 when this came out. Yes. And uh, we end our episode with Mike being told that he's done well and the fact that no one would have been able to go as long as he did. And we uh, we our last shot is Mike looking at the moon saying, hey, don't go away up there. Next time it won't be a dream or a nightmare. Next time it'll be for real. So don't go away. We'll be up there in a little while. Yeah. And uh, really, 
really very much of its time and yet timeless, um, you know, for 1959. But uh, from the very beginning, Rod Serling, you know, wrote his amazing intros for the show. And, and, and uh, this one is actually one of the shortest intros of any of the episodes. Um, he says, the place is here, the time is now, and the journey into the shadows that we are about to watch could be our journey. And uh, really, uh, it just, just just says it absolutely wonderfully. But uh, the interesting thing about this pilot, and one thing that you'll notice here in the first season, uh, we mentioned it previously in the other episode, but uh, th- this show is famous for Rod Serling's on-air intros and and and, and his his hosting um, his whole hosting persona. But that really doesn't come into play for a while, and you're going to hear his voice, but you're not going to see him. For a while, and also um, this episode doesn't have the um, Twilight Zone classic theme that everyone's familiar with. I do really like the theme song from this mm-hmm. first season. Yeah, but, and the uh, intro is interesting too. It's very low budget, even for the Twilight Zone. Yeah, but really, it's um, it's it's of a quality that you didn't see a whole lot at this point in 1959 in terms of scripted television. So it's it's really interesting, and you've got to you got to give CBS credit because. For the whole five seasons that the Twilight Zone was on, it was never, it was never a rating success. I don't think it ever cracked the top twenty, even top twenty-five. Maybe um, was always a critical darling, and yet they um, they saw that there was quality here, and they allowed Serling for five years to uh, write a little mini movie week after week. And uh, this is a really, really interesting start, Scott. What are your uh, thoughts about the pilot episode? Well, I think we start out really strong, uh, not to bury the lead, but I rank this one fairly high. Uh, and I think part of it is the acting. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, you, you have these kind of movies and uh, stories where the one actor has to kind of handle this uh, himself. In this case, we have Earl Holloman. Uh, and he is, he is tasked with taking on the entire narrative of the very first episode of a show so not only is he having to deal with the fact that he has no one to act off of but also the fact that he has to bring people into this world for the first time and i I think he does a really good job about that i also like the the theme and we're going to deal we're we're probably going to find that there's about five or six themes that could retread on a lot in this uh this uh, series and this theme of isolation and uh, not knowing your environment and trying to figure out what's going on is um, a theme that we're going to hit on quite a bit, but I think it's done very well here. And um, another thing I like about it is, um, as I mentioned with the quote at the end, it's actually hopeful at the end, which doesn't happen all the time with the Twilight Zone. Not a lot. No, and you know, I'm, I'm a space guy. I'm, yeah. I'm a big fan of the space race and moonshot and uh, the fact that 10 years before we're going to set foot on the moon – Rod Serling is saying we're going to be there soon uh, is something that I think that would have been poignant for somebody watching this in 1959 and being somebody who has wished that we would, you know, stop just being in orbit around our planet and actually start going out to other bodies in the solar system sooner rather than later. I, I, I hope we can say that again, that we'll be there soon with the moon and Mars and past that. 
Yeah, and uh, for me, the, the, this whole episode hinges on Earl Holloman and his performance. And like I said, Rod Serling was a master of casting, and he didn't necessarily cast big names all the time, but he cast people that he knew could bring out the best in his scripts. And uh, I think Earl Holloman was a perfect choice for this part because he's very relatable. Um, there's nothing actory about him when he performs this, if you had cast the wrong actor in this role, it would have just been just misery to sit through just this, this person that you're watching just on their own for, you know, 25 minutes. And, um, he really, he really seems like this sort of all American guy who's been plunged into this sort of, you know, world that's not quite, you know, we recognize it and yet something's off about it. And, um, it's, it's it's really really interesting, and of course, this being the the time of the uh, Cold War. I mean, 1959. You're right in the thick of it, and everybody was a little paranoid at this time. And paranoia kind of runs rampant in this episode. Um, it, once he starts to realize that something's not quite right here, and uh, his his performance just really seals the deal for this episode and what raises it to a level that it might not have been had a different actor been cast. Yeah, agreed. I, I, and I think we're going to see that a lot. I think, as you mentioned in our intro episode, Rod's, Rod Serling knew how to cast people, uh, and he got the best people for the job. And that's another thing I think that this anthology series has going for it is because when you're doing an anthology, you don't have to sign an actor to a long contract. You could grab somebody when they're in between films or in between yeah. other TV shows and say, hey, just come down to the set for two or three days. We'll give you some money and yeah. we'll put you in a show. And I think that's why we get some really good acting in this television show throughout its run. Uh, and this is one of those. Yeah. Uh, I, I also really think we need to give credit to uh, Robert Stevens, who directed this. He really paces this episode well and he shoots it well. And, uh, you know, from the very first scene where he's in the diner, and and you see it's abandoned and everything and you and just just the way that uh, Stephen shoots that and you and and you notice you know yes this is a familiar world but there's something off about it and 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 the 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 angles he gets and everything he really sets the tone for what this show is going to be for the next five years it's um it's not quite it, it's interesting because it's not quite what the show is going to be um, once it reaches its fullest potential but. Um, for for the first step that it's taken, I think that you can't get much better in terms of a pilot episode. Um, any any particular moments from this episode that stand out to you? Well, one of the things that stands out to me is not really a moment, but just the character himself. Another thing I like about the Twilight Zone is never assumes that the audience is stupid. Yeah, and it never assumes that the characters, unless they're written to be stupid, it never assumes the characters are stupid. So an example of that is when he is in the uh, the milkshake diner or whatever, yeah. uh, whatever you call it, and he sees that uh, next to him on the bar is a listing of the local basketball team's home and away schedule for the season, and he just thinks to himself, "If this is an illusion, I'm putting a lot of effort into making this illusion real." And it's that yes. kind of just cognitive ability for him to, even though he's really going into madness and we're going to see him go deeper and deeper into himself, he's able to say, if this is not real, 
I'm at least doing a lot of effort to make it look real. And that's just, oh, that's, yeah. something, that's something that a lot of characters in, in literature and film and TV aren't going to make that imp- uh, decision because for one, the writer isn't going to think that they should, but also I think the writer is concerned that the audience isn't going to follow along, but Rod Serling never did that. Rod Serling said, you're going to come along with me or you're not. And that's probably why he never cracked past, you know, the, the top 20 or whatever yeah. it was for shows because he didn't try to get the mass audience along with him. He just wanted to bring those who could come along for the ride. And uh, I think it's a good start. And I think I, I like that about this being a character piece. Well, and I mean, how often, especially in TV today, do you have a character that quotes Dickens? <laughs> I mean, yes, just, yes. Yeah. It just, uh, I mean, just uh, the, the best TV shows never talk down to their audience unless unless you're doing it for a specific reason. But Sir, like you said, Serling never assumes that his audience is stupid. He's always playing to the highest denominator. And I, I think that's why this show holds up because usually when you're playing to the lowest common denominator, you're sort of playing to the masses and what's popular at that time. And I think that's why the twilight zone stays so timeless is because he never, he never falls into conventions of any particular time or place. It's always just, just from his mind and, and, and universal themes. Um, you know, and what I love about this episode is the, just the, the tension, how it builds and builds in the beginning, Mike is very relaxed and he's just kind of like a little kid exploring around. And, um, but, but, but the more and more he realizes that he is alone and he's not seeing anybody, the more the, the, the stakes are raised in this episode. And, and, and there's just little moments like, like when he walks over to the, um, I, I think it's the, uh, the garage and he thinks he sees the woman in the car and it turns out it's a, uh, it's a mannequin or whatever. And, uh, the, that's, that's a little creepy moment, uh, but it really sort of, uh, again, sets the tone for uneasiness in the world of the Twilight Zone. <laughs> yeah. and, um, we, we, we do get told that Mike does walk away from the mannequin, but you, you wonder if, uh, if Mike was going to be there long enough, he would have come back to the mannequin. <laughs> I, <laughs> you can uh, yeah. only play tic-tac-toe with yourself for so long. <laughs> well... Yeah, I hope I. <laughs> I'll render Brandon speechless. Yeah, I can't, I can't think about that. But um, also, also, what's interesting is during these scenes when he's walking around, um, the the majority of the series of Twilight Zone was shot on the MGM backlots, but this pilot was shot at Universal. And if you recognize uh, where Mike Ferris is walking around at, it's the same town square from uh, Back to the Future. And you can see the and you can see the clock tower and everything, and um, that that's really cool. <laughs> I, I, I don't do impressions at all, but that was my my best duck I could do. <laughs> yeah, I was. That would be interesting to put this episode within that space time continuum. I don't know how exactly you would do. Well, it, it is four years after Marty left, so um, at this point. Um, uh, Biff is still probably cleaning shit out of his car. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but but then I, I'm I'm thinking about though. But but the climactic scene when he runs into the movie theater, I mm-hmm. think is kind of what 
what what affects you the most, you know, when he's running, you know, he's running in and uh, he goes up to the rejection booth and sees that there's nobody up there. And then he runs out on the street and he's, you know, he sees the eye looking at him. And, and, and that was the kind of feeling that, you know, everyone had during the time of the Cold War, that Big Brother was always watching them. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course, of course, we have that feeling now, too. But, uh, you know, just... Uh, really isolationism you're always wondering if someone was watching you it's a it's an interesting paradox but um it it, it, it it plays well in this episode serling really captures that time yeah and this is where we go back to the director too you know for the most part in this episode it has been filmed not so much claustrophobic it's been filmed kind of open and just exploring uh-huh. the world but as soon as he gets into the theater and then when he comes out it all goes bonkers, and I think Robert Stevens does a great job of starting to tilt the camera a little bit, um, especially when you start seeing the traffic signals, and it's just kind of a montage of lights and sounds. Like he, He's been able to encapsulate this and understand what's going on, and now his mind's just said, I, I've snapped. I'm done. I can't figure this out. And that's yeah. when he starts hitting the crosswalk button, which is a great transition because we start realizing the crosswalk button is the – uh, emergency get me the heck out of here button <laughs> yeah yeah and really uh, i um i i can't remember the first time i saw this i'm trying to think i think it, it wasn't actually too too long ago it was probably a few years ago I'd, I'd seen a lot of the really famous twilight zone episodes but this is one that's really not not, no, really not much. as much as yeah no some of the others and i it was interesting because i i thought to myself okay there's got to be a turn coming but i wasn't sure exactly what it was going to be and then when you see what it is um really really a a brilliant uh, a, a brilliant plot plot device created by serling um to uh capture the feelings of that time and then to also tie it into the race for space yeah. um uh, j- just just absolutely incredible, and um, I really, I really enjoyed seeing uh, James Gregory as the general, who um, most famously um, plays uh, Senator Islin in the original Manchurian Candidate, which is a movie I definitely want to do on classics at some point, uh, it, which also captures the feeling of the Cold War wonderfully. Um, so really, really interesting. Did you see that turn coming when you first saw this episode? You know, this is one of those, my memory's pretty terrible. So I don't know when I saw this yeah. one the first time, but it's always been in my head. But you're right. This isn't one that's played a lot. So I probably haven't seen this episode in its entirety for the better part of a decade or more. But um, I, I can't, unfortunately, I, I cannot take myself back to when I didn't see this and when I didn't know what was going on. But um uh, I, I'm sure that when I when I was watching it for the first time, um, you don't see it coming because uh, they yeah. really don't give you a reason. There's there's a couple times when you rewatch it, like when he starts remembering things, like he's he starts thinking, "I'm in yeah. the Air Force," but then he even asks, "What's the Air Force?" So he really doesn't yeah. have a full sense of what he is or what he's doing. Uh, uh-huh. But um, the turn is very very smart. And again, the transition into it is uh, is is jarring, which is good. I mean, you 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 go through this his mind snappy, and then all of a sudden you got a, a general and some press looking in on it. So it, it's a good way to to make that um, that leap. Yeah, and just just a really amazing uh, commentary. You know, once again, we talked about Sterling really wanted the show to say something, and um, this was a time when. 
America and the world really were afraid that technology was going to, as great as it was and all the technical innovations that were being made, um, there was a fear that technology was going to take over and that we would somehow lose our human interactions with each other. And today, with all the different technological advances, I think this episode speaks just as much. I mean, um, you know, you're, you're always afraid that somehow the, the, the personal interactions that you have every day with people will somehow be taken over by technology. And so for Serling to encapsulate that within the pilot episode really really to me i think is very impressive that he chose to say that within the first episode of the series mm-hmm. absolutely and you know again and i've already hit on it but i also like the fact that even though we are dealing with a man breaking and his mind being lost at the very end of it he's okay with it and he's he's yeah. looking forward to the next time and it i th- i think it's another thing that rod serling does so well and that is he shows the good in the human race, yeah. even though, even when we really can't always see the good in the human race. And the fact that no matter what we go through and no matter what the experience does to us, we always have to see what's on the next horizon. We always have yeah. to explore what's next. And, you know, that's the thing that I always remember about this episode. It's not, it's not him in the, the, uh, in Oakwood on by himself. It's not the theater. It's, him looking at the moon and saying, I'm coming for you. And that's just, it's something we don't get often in sci-fi, in television, yeah. and in American literature. We don't get that sense of hope as much as we should. Oh, I like that a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess now would be a great time, now that we've covered the majority of the episode, um, to uh, talk about where we rank it. Do you want to explain how we're going to rank each episode? Absolutely. So uh, what we're doing here is because we believe that uh, even some of the lesser Twilight Zone episodes are better than a lot of TV out there. We're not going to rank the Twilight Zone amongst other television shows. We're going to rank it amongst itself. So we're going to use a scale of one to ten. One being uh, a a poor episode, ten being one of the best. And so anything uh, in the middle, a four, five, or six, is an average episode for the Twilight Zone, which again – an average episode in the best TV series of all time is a pretty darn good episode. So mm-hmm. we'll be ranking them that way. So Brandon, how about, uh, you want to give your rank first? Sure. Um, you know, for, in terms of pilots, it, uh, pilots are always very iffy when you look at different shows. Um, the, it, it's very hard to find a pilot that's going to really fit in with the rest of the body of work that you create the rest of the years that you're on the air. But I think, not only do I think this is a great pilot, I think this is a pilot that is better than many of the episodes we'll see coming down the pike at some point. Yeah. And so I, I'm going to rank that this episode is way above average to me. I, I'm going to rank it a seven, which um, in terms of pilot, I, I don't think you can get much higher than that. So um, yeah, a, a full seven for me. Yeah, you know, and um, if this was um, the start and I hadn't seen all the other episodes coming up, uh, I think I would rank it in 8, 9, or 10. But I, I'm going to agree with you on this yeah. one and say a 7 because it is definitely above average. But I also know what's coming, and I think we're going to only have some really good things ahead of us. So I'm going to say it's a 7 as well. Yeah, so um, a, a very strong start. Um, there's going to be 
episodes I'm sure we'll be ranking higher, and I'm sure there's going to be episodes we'll be ranking much lower, especially as we get toward the end of the run. <laughs> the, uh, so. the bewitching pool. That's all I'm going to say. The girl but, who, uh, did, who did uh, 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 Bo, Rock, uh, it was Bullwinkle from Rocky and Bullwinkle is in the bewitching Natasha. pool. Yeah. Yes. yes. Oh man. Yeah. It's, it's, it, <laughs> it's okay. We'll yeah. get there in 155 more episodes. So don't worry. Yeah. Uh, it'll, be, it'll be interesting, but um, yeah, absolutely. Um, but we thank you for uh, making it through this first episode with us. You here. make it sound like we're, we're we put them in an isolation chamber. <laughs> hey, I remember what it was called now. Isolation chamber. <laughs> we're, we're torturing these poor people. No, no. I think I think this was very enjoyable, and I think we're we're on to something here. I think this is a good start. Second time's a charm. <laughs> In more ways than one. <laughs> we're just going to leave that one alone. So, um, yeah. So, um, actually, uh, before I read um, Rod's final words for this episode, do you want to do a little bit of plugging for us, Scott? Absolutely. You can find us at the front row movie reviews.com where you'll be able to find all of our shows, which includes Brandon's classics, my flashbacks. Uh, we have behind the mouse, which is, uh, uh, uh our Disney podcast. We have news and reviews of uh, all the new movies coming out as well, too. And you can find all of that at the front row movie reviews.com. Mm-hmm. You can also find uh, us on YouTube at the front row movie reviews. Just search us that way. And that's where you'll find our lovely faces in these videos. And then you can also find this on all your social media platforms by searching the front row movie reviews we're on facebook we're on twitter and we are on instagram the twitter one is front row reviews with a z because i guess we couldn't get the right one but uh you can find us through all that and hopefully you you like and subscribe to us in both the podcast form as well as on the youtube form liking and subscribing us is what we need to get more people to check us out and see what's going on so please do that even if you hate our guts Give us a like because you're feeling charitable. That's fine, too. <laughs> yes. And uh, the next time we talk, we will be discussing the wonderful Mr. Ed Wynn. So <laughs> that is, uh, that is uh, more than incentive for you to come back. <laughs> and we'll just leave it at that. And, uh, I will we'll let Ed Wynn speak for himself. And no, he will. <laughs> yes. Yes, he will. And uh, as I uh, as I provide you here with uh, the very first closing narration you'll hear for any Twilight Zone episode, the barrier of loneliness, the palpable desperate need of the human animal to be with his fellow man, up there, up there in the vastness of space, in the void that is sky, up there is an enemy known as isolation. It sits there in the stars waiting, waiting with the patience of eons, forever waiting in the Twilight Zone. So that's where we begin, and we move forward from here, and uh, I am Brandon. As we move forward into the void. Yes. Very happy. Sorry. Yes. I, no, I'm, (laughs) go ahead. No, uh, I am your. (laughs) Remember when I said like us? Don't unlike us now. Yes. Keep liking. No, Go ahead. please don't. Please don't. I am Brandon Davis. <laughs> and I am Scott McFarland. And uh, we will see you on the couch. It's a comfy couch. Come join us. Yes. We don't bite too hard. Oh, please. please. <laughs> oh, please. Oh, please. Thank you for listening to this episode of Zonisodes. 
Zonasodes is a special presentation of the Front Row Movie Reviews podcast. For more information, go to www.thefrontrowmoviereviews.com.